Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. All right, how we doing? How we doing? Good, good, good. We are so glad you're here. We're in a series called Vacation, and I'm excited because I've got Mary Walls with me this, tonight, and Mary is our community life pastor. She is part of our executive team, and really, Mary, you kind of oversee all of the spiritual development of the adults, and y'all been doing a great job during this time of quarantine to keep everybody connected. We've had to pivot like everybody else and come up with lots of new ideas. There's been struggles, but there's been blessings. Lots of great things have come out of it, too, so we're having a great time yes. staying connected with people. You guys are so awesome. Everybody's just jumped in and, and really and getting involved. We love it. And reaching out to their groups and lots of people just reaching out to people they haven't seen in a while. So thank you, church. Y'all are really done a great job. That's it. They have done a great job. Well, you know, we've been talking about vacation. And so every time somebody comes up here, we go, okay, what do you like to do on vacation? So what is it? Yes. So I'm going to take a vote because I really want to see. It seems like everybody so far mm-hmm. has really been the beach, but it's kind of the beach or the mountains. So they're like, no. So we're going to take a vote. And you guys online, I want y'all to chime in too. So tell us if your favorite vacation is beach or mountains and specifically where. I would just be curious to see. So, all right, in the room, raise your hand. If it's beach, raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole lot. Okay, mountains, raise your hand. Yes. Thank you. My, these are my people. Thank <laughs> you. I'm so glad to have you. And I'm going to go ahead and spoiler alert because you are Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Have you Hawaii. said it? I'm, I'm just going to say it. Your trip got canceled. No, actually, my parents got canceled, but we're hoping that we're going to go again um, first part of November. So, you know, everybody be praying for that one. So we want to go. We don't feel bad if we don't get to go. Let's be honest. You got to feel bad if we don't get to go. We got to get bad. No, it's uh, doing that. So Derek and I have traveled a ton. I used to be a flight attendant for a few years. So honestly, we've traveled all over the world to lots and lots of great places. But I'm going to have to tell you, our favorite place tends to be Colorado and the good old USA. We love it. We love going there. And last October, um, our son Garrison got married in the Rocky Mountain National Park, um, right outside Estes Park. And it was beautiful on the side of a mountain. All, most, most of my family got to go. So all my people were in one spot. And that. it was October, y'all. So the colors were the brightest yellows and purples. It was just beautiful. So That's and my husband, Derek, is here. And you have to know, if we're going on vacation with Derek Walls, there's adventure. There's no sitting <laughs> on a beach or laying around. You're going to be doing something. So... Colorado lets you do that. Uh, I love that. Love that. Well, we've been taking people on places. And as I told you last week that every pastor that's come up here, they've gotten to pick the place. So, so Mary, tell us where you're taking us today. Yeah. This is what Bill said too. How are you going to spend this one? Okay. We're going to Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) And I know you're going, oh, great. But it kind of reminds me like this. And this has happened to us recently when we went to Colorado. You guys know you go on Airbnb and you look at those pictures and you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm getting such a great deal on this place. And then you get there and you go, oh, I know why it was such a great deal. <laughs> That's kind of what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll talk about it as we tell the story. But they were looking down the plains uh-huh. and it looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. Lots of green grass and lots of stuff was going on. And um, they're going to put the map up. I love this map because it kind of tells you current day as well of what was going on there. But there it is. So here's the deal. Nobody really knows where it is because it was destroyed at the end, right? You guys, I say spoiler alert for sure on that. If you don't know the end of the story, now you do. 
So they don't really know where it is. Most archaeologists and theologians think it was south of the Dead Sea because there's a lot of talk about Zor looking down. You'll see when we start talking about it um, by the Jordan Valley. That's where that's where we're going. That's where they think it was. In when they talk about it in Scripture, it's quite a bit talked about in Scripture. And it is one. It's two. Sodom and Gomorrah, it's two different cities, kind of like Keller and Southlake. They were sister cities, not too far from each other. And it's the most, two of the most sinful cities ever talked about in the Old Testament. That's Mm -hmm. kind of scary, isn't it? Yes, it is kind of scary. So that's where we're going today, but it's going to be great. (laughs) That's what we were like when she was telling us. I go, well, Mary, that's an interesting (laughs) place to take us to. I mean, And I'm going to tell you by the end, you'll know why. You'll know why by the end. (laughs) I thought it was really applicable to us for today. It was interesting. Well, you know, really, Sodom and Gomorrah was kind of Vegas before there was a Vegas, right? But really, when you look at what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah, I think it would make Vegas blush. I mean, there was a lot going on there. You know, we've heard the phrase, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, when we hear the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to see that what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah really stayed in God, Sodom and Gomorrah permanently. It's where it is. And so before we get to that story, we got to find out how we got there. Okay, the story is found in the book of Genesis, and Genesis is the first book in the Bible. So the best place to kind of figure out how this all got started is go back to the very beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and then, you know, he, can create, he created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden, and he made everything wonderful. He said, this is for you to enjoy. Enjoy it all. Just don't do one thing. Of course, they did one thing, right? They did the one thing, and so sin enters into the world. And what we see for the next 1,500 years, it was people turning away from God, doing whatever they wanted. They weren't listening to God. They were just getting caught up in everything. And finally, around Genesis 6, God just throws up his hands, and he says, I'm done. He said, I'm done with all of y'all. He says, I've had it. All these, these people that I've created, I'm done. And so he gets rid of him. He brings the flood. He gets the flood to get rid of everybody. He got rid of everybody, but, but Noah, because he said Noah was a righteous man who walked with him. And so after the flood, we kind of have this do-over, right? We have this do-over, and he, he blesses um, Noah and his sons, and he says, hey, guys, I need you, okay? I need you to go be fruitful, and you'll multiply and inhabit all the earth. We're, we're doing this start over. I'm inhabiting everything. And so for the next 700 years, that's what they did. They started being fruitful. They started doing this, but they weren't inhabiting the earth because, again, they turned away from God and were doing their own thing. In fact, they turned so in, inward, they were so proud of themselves that they didn't think they needed God anymore. They ended up building this tower, this huge tower. It was called the Tower of Babel, and it was to get to heaven. They were telling God, we don't need you to get to heaven. We can do it ourselves. This is, this is how much they thought about themselves. Well, remember, God already promised, I'm not going to destroy you again. I'm not going to send another flood. So what God does, he goes to the Tower of Babel, and he confuses everybody. That's where he sent all the languages into the world, and he, he just confused everybody so they couldn't communicate. So they only could communicate with a few people, and this is when they started to inhabit the earth, okay? They started to get out of the way. Well, this is where we meet the first person in our story, a guy by the name of Abram, okay? And you might know him as Abraham, and he lived in in Ur, and you probably saw that on the map, and this was in Mesopotamia. This is kind of the southern part of Iraq, okay? This is where he was from, and God goes to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. See, God had decided what he was going to do. He was going to pick a people all unto himself. 
He was gonna pick a nation all unto himself and he was gonna use that nation to send his son into, into those people. And then through him, he would give his life for us. He would die on the cross. He would uh, die for our sins. He would be the savior of the world. This is what God decided. And he decided he was gonna do it through Abraham. And so he said, I need you to leave everything behind. I need you to leave it all and you come follow me and you just go where I take you. And what we see is Abraham by faith said, yes. Now, I think this is so amazing because when you look at what's going on, Abraham's like in his 70s, okay? He's in his 70s, he's a very successful man. He's very successful and he's gonna leave everything to follow God. But not only that, he was raised in a household that worshiped false gods. They worshiped pagan gods. They didn't worship the one true God, but now he's going, I'm surrendering to the one true God. I'm gonna do what you want. And here's the biggest kicker. He's in his 70s, he doesn't have any kids, but he's gonna be the father of a great nation. But he believed God. So what he did, he got his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot. And these are the other two people that we're gonna be talking about in this story. And they travel about 600 miles up to a place called Haran. This is in Turkey. And they were there for a few years and then they follow God down to Canaan. So you had to kind of go up and around to get to where God wanted you to be. And so once they were in Canaan, they started to realize how much God had been blessing them along the way. And they knew they couldn't stay together because what was happening, their livestock was so huge that their servants were quarreling with each other over who got the land for their, for their, for their livestock. So Abraham goes to Lot and he says, listen, it's time for us to split, but I wanna be gracious. So you pick, you pick where you wanna be, okay? Well, Lot looks around and he sees this lush, lush plain of grass. I mean, it's just beautiful. And he's thinking, man, this is gonna set me for life. I mean, this is gonna be able to take care of my livestock. I mean, I'm gonna be very successful with all this. I'm picking this. And he tells him he's picking this. But the problem is it was right next to Sodom and Gomorrah, the most wicked place on earth. There's a, some theologians say that what happened is that Lot picked grass for his cattle, but Abraham got grace for his children. That Lot worried about his finances where Abraham got to take care of his family. Because what we see in the story is, is Lot not only was next to Sodom and Gomorrah, but he kind of got into Sodom and Gomorrah. He got all into it. He ended up marrying a, a woman from there, had his kids there. He was so successful that uh, they made him kind of this prominent person there. He was kind of the gatekeeper. He watched over everything of coming and going. He was really well-to-do in this place and his wife loved it. She got whatever she wanted because she had a rich husband. They thought everything was going great. But this is how you need to know that every decision you make comes with a price. And that's what we're gonna see as we look into the rest of the story, the price that they paid for picking where they went. Yeah, and we're gonna look at Genesis 18 and 19. So if you wanna turn there in your Bibles, we're gonna skip some. We're not gonna read all of that, but we're gonna hit the, the high points to you. And the, it's really interesting, right where Rob left off, that's exactly where we're gonna show up. And remember, so Lot's down by Sodom. Abraham and Sarah are up in Canaan, and they have three visitors. Um, scripture says they look like regular men, but two of them were angels, and one of them was God himself in the form of a man. And they start talking to Abraham and they tell him, they, came, they said, we came to tell you two things. One, Sarah's gonna have a baby in the next year. Sarah, you guys, some of y'all remember the story. Sarah overheard this, do you guys remember? And she laughed. Sarah was, she's thinking, seriously, I'm 89. That she's been, they've been trying to have babies a long time. They had done some things that God didn't want them to do to try to have a baby, but they were just on this, we're gonna have a baby. Sometimes we get fixed on something, don't we girls? So she laughs 
And so God says, Sarah, why are you laughing? She says, I didn't laugh. And he says, yes, you did. Is anything <laughs> too difficult for God? So that was number one. They're going to have a baby, finally. They're super excited about it. And number two is, he tells them, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's a family guy. He's really distraught. His nephew is down there. He doesn't want this. So he begins pleading with God on saving Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is where our story is going to pick up, and we're going to start at Genesis. It's going to be on the screens if you guys don't have your Bibles. In Genesis 18, 20, and 26, um, then the Lord said, he's talking to Abraham, and he says, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what I see what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away, and they went toward Sodom. So they're going to go down and find Lot in the meantime. But Abraham remained, standing before the Lord. And then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? He's kind of putting the pressure on any. <laughs> and then the Lord says, okay, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Well, then Abraham continues to plead. I think he starts going, mm, I'm not really sure if there's going to be 50 people there or not. So <laughs> he starts going down. Okay, well, what if there's 45? He does the whole spiel exactly like that again. What if there's 45? And God says, okay. If there's 45, I won't do it. He says, okay, what if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? And he gets to 10. And I think he probably thought there's probably 10. With Lot, his wife, their families, he probably thought they had 10. So God says, okay, if there's 10, then I will spare it and I will not destroy it. So then we go to Genesis 19 and the two angels have traveled down in the form of men. They've traveled down to Lot. They get to the city gate, like you said. Mm -hmm. Lot's one of the... People at the city gate, he lets them in, and Lot knows there's something different about them. He knows who he's been living with, who's in his city, and he knows who these two guys are, and he doesn't want anything happen to him. And you guys, we're going to keep it PG today, but it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. It's super, super bad. So Lot gets kind of afraid, so he says, hey, why don't y'all come to my house? He's thinking they'll be safe there. Come to my house, and I'll get you guys something to eat, something to drink, um, you're going to be safe at my house. So they go to his house, but they had all seen these two men come in. So not too much longer after they're there, all the men of the city, many, many, surround the house. They start beating on the doors, and they start saying, send the two men out. Lot says, this would be horrible to do anything to these angels. So he says, hey, I have two virgin daughters. How about if I send them out? Well, luckily, they said, no, we don't want them. So the angels start observing this is going to go bad. So they blind everybody who's there so that the, they can have a way to escape that they won't be followed. And this is where we pick up our story, Genesis 19, 12. And it says, the two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we're gonna destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws that were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. And I think that tells us right there, they didn't even really believe that he believed in God at this point because they weren't even taking them serious. 
And it says, within the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here with you, or they'll be swept away when the city is punished. And when he hesitated, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. I think this was on purpose because God had promised Mm -hmm. that to Abraham. He wanted to make sure they were safe. And as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. We kind of conclude this in verse 23. And it says, by the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. And then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus, he overthrew those cities and the entire plain destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land that he loved mm-hmm. was gone. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Mm. What a way to end the story, yeah. isn't it? And I don't think she just kind of looked back and kept running. We think she was from Sodom because as we read the scriptures up till there, it didn't ever talk about her. It talked about Abraham and Sarah, never said Lot and his wife. So we think he married somebody from there and he had his daughters there. And I think she was running with them because they grabbed her hand. And I think she froze and went, I'm leaving everything that I know. I'm leaving everything that's familiar to me to going to this place that I have no idea what it was. She had a lot of money. There was a whole lot of things gathered up in it. And she knew to save her life, this is what she needed to do. But at the end of the day, she just couldn't do it. So... I think a lot of us can relate. I'm calling her Mrs. Lot. We don't know her name. But a lot of us can relate to her because we're kind of living this right now, aren't we? In COVID, we're kind of looking back, wishing for what we had. We've all struggled with, hey, I'm not sure what the future holds. You guys with kids in school, we've heard different things all week. Our kids are staying home. Our kids are going. And um, there's so much unknown. And I think that's about where she was. I think she was a little um, just confused and was willing to trade it all in to not follow God. But the big question we're all asking today, and this is what we want to talk about, is how do we keep moving forward without looking behind when God has called us to something new in the future? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's the question for everybody right now. But I think what we have to look at it is that it's not actually about looking forward or looking back. It's about making sure you're always looking up. And that's really the first thing that we see from... from. Uh, this whole experience of this story is that it really comes down to our priorities, comes down to our priorities. See, God wants us to be successful in life, okay? The Proverbs 16, 9, it talks about that. It says that when you align your life with God, when you focus on God, when he becomes your priority, you will be successful in life. See, God wanted Abraham to be successful. God wanted Lot to be successful. But the problem is only one made God the priority, See, life comes down to what I call the principle of the path, okay? And this is basically it. The decisions you make determine the direction of your life. Decisions you make determine the direction of your life, which is gonna uh, determine where you end up in life, okay? It's, that's just how it works, is every decision determines the direction you're going and where the direction you're going is gonna show where you end up. That's, that's what it's all about. Every single one of you, everybody that is watching online, where you are now is a direct result of all of the decisions you've made in the past. And where you're gonna be in the future is gonna be all about what the decisions you make now. You're gonna determine where you go. And it's kind of a nice thing to think about that we actually can determine our future. We can determine our future by the priorities that we make. 
We know what is going on. You can actually see your future. I mean, come on. How many of us actually thought it was gonna turn out good for Lot? When you see the choices he made, when you see what he was doing and where he was raising his family, did you really think that it was gonna turn out well for him? The direction he was leading his life? Why is it that we can see that in other people? You know, you probably have had family members that, or people at your work or, or friends of yours, and you've seen the decisions they've been doing in life, the choices they've been making in life, and then all of a sudden you get that call in the middle of the night, oh no, my world's coming down, it's crashing, and you're going, yeah, I knew it was going to happen, right? We all knew it was going to happen because of the choices. But here's the real question, why can't we see it in ourselves? I mean, why didn't Lot know that his priorities were all out of whack? And the answer is because everything seemed fine. I mean, here he was, he was a successful man. His family seemed okay. He was a big wig around town. Everything was going well. And we do the same thing. If we faced a consequence right off the bat, then we'd probably turn. But everything seems fine. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6 when he was talking about the, the, the wise and foolish builder. Remember the story? It's like they, they both build a house. One built it on the rock and one built it on the sand. And what you have to realize is they both built the house. It wasn't that one couldn't build a house. No, they both built the house. So it went up, it was finished. They were living in it. Everything seemed fine until what? The storms came. And after the storms, guess what? Only one remained standing. And it was the one that made God the priority. See, Galatians 6, 7 says this. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked you're gonna reap what you sow. That's the thing you have to realize with priorities. You will reap what you sow. So don't deceive yourself. Don't think you can live your life in the wrong direction. Don't think you can keep making decisions that are away from what God wants you to do and everything's gonna be okay because God can't be mocked. And what that means is, you know, you probably have had this with, with kids um, there that they might tell you they're going one place, but then they go somewhere else and they think they can get away with it. Well, sometimes you can fool your parents, but you can't fool God. And God wants you to be successful. So what he's gonna do He's gonna make you face those consequences because he's trying to bring you back to him. That's what he is. He's trying to bring you back to him. And that's what he did with Lot. I wanted to bring you back. I gotta get you out of there and try to bring you back to me. And that's what God does. And that's what we need to do. And then realize that we're gonna reap what we sow. So we gotta make God first. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three. He said, seek ye first the kingdom. He said, put God first in everything you do. Before you do anything else, make sure God is first. He said, all those things that you think you need, all those things you, that you want to have, all those things that, that, that you're worried about, maybe you might not get. He said, no, if you seek me first, guess what? I'll take care of everything else. It all comes down to priorities. And I know this, we're in church and we've kind of, this is a little churchy thing, but the easiest way to think if you're making God the priority is look at your calendar and your checkbook. I mean, it's that simple. If God is not first in your calendar, if you're not making, give yourself a hand because all of you made it, um, that you are here in church, all of you that are watching, you put him first, that you're gonna make sure that God is a part of your, your everyday week and, and life and, and make sure that you're here. And then it's putting him first in your checkbook. Does God get first or does he get the leftovers? You reap what you sow. It comes down to your priorities. And I think it's interesting, we can tell clearly that God wasn't Lot's priority, right? And I... I was thinking about this yesterday. Of wonder what he could have changed if he would have gone in telling Sodom 
and Gomorrah about his faith? What if he went in talking about God and the great things he had seen God done and how God had provided for them all the way from Ur, all, all the places that they had been? I'm wondering if those people would have listened and said, oh, we had no idea about this. We didn't know, but it wasn't his priority to, to share his faith with them. So recently, I don't know if you guys know, on Thursday nights, I do an interview with just people who have inspiring stories. It's a great feel-good thing. That's my goal in it all. And a few weeks ago, I interviewed um, this young man named Alec Barnett. I don't know if you guys were here. He got baptized recently. I'm going to put up a picture. Yep, there's Alec um, and his cute little girlfriend behind him. And Alec, um, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. If you haven't seen it, you can go on our page. um, It's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Lindsay got it all up so you can go watch the whole story. But I'll give you the cliff notes is Alec was 17. He had been asking about God for a while. He didn't grow up in church. He said, I didn't know about Adam and Eve. I didn't know about the Trinity. I didn't even really know much about Jesus. He didn't know anything. So he was asking his friends at school, middle school, high school, hey, tell me about this God. Tell me about this God. And they're like, hey, you don't really need to know. You just got to follow the rules. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what you need to do to be a good person. You're not living a good enough life. And Sooner or later, he just became very disenfranchised of going, if this is what it is to be a Christian, is to be like these people, I'm not really interested. So he starts studying atheism and puts an Instagram page on how to be an atheist and really digs deep into this. And then he meets a cute girl. Isn't that the best part of any story? (laughs) He meets this cute girl and she happens to come to the mat and she invites him to come to church. And he comes a few times and he said, it was okay. I just didn't see the big deal about all this. It just was religion, and I wasn't really interested in religion. And so he's telling his girlfriend he doesn't think he's going to come back to church, which is a deal breaker for her. So she starts talking, you know what? You need to just really think about this, ask God into your life. So he says, all right. So he goes out by himself, and he says, okay, I'm going to make a deal with you, God. Here's the deal. If you are real, here's what I'm going to need to happen. I'm going to go into a bookstore, and I'm going to pick out two books. I'm going to get a Bible and I'm going to read some of it, and I'm going to get a book, and if you are real, I need for you to show me. So he goes to the half-price Christian book section, thousands of books, right, and half-price, he goes over to the Christian, which I said, he's lucky. There's a lot of Christian romance fiction, right? He didn't get that. Um, So he's looking, and he pulls out. He goes, I just picked the smallest book, thinking, all right, I'm going to do this quick and easy. So he pulls out this book called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell who happens to be a former atheist, and set out to prove that Christianity wasn't real. And as Josh McDowell started researching, he was like, no, I don't think Jesus really died. I think he just fell asleep, and that's why he could rise from the dead, because he never really died. So as he started researching this swoon theory, they call it, and a whole bunch of other things, Josh McDowell, he was really going to prove it was false, realized it's all true. I can't even prove it's false. He ends up becoming a Christian, And at the end of the book, has this invitation for if you want to be a Christian, I want to pray this prayer with you. And so guess what Alec does? He knows, and in that moment, he knew that God was real. Mm -hmm. The darkness was lifted. He said, I found out later that all Christians, when you become a Christian, get this really excited. He said, I want to tell everybody I'm on this mountaintop. And he comes and he gets baptized here. But here's the great thing about Alex. His priority with his life now is, that he doesn't want to come in contact with anybody, that he doesn't know how to share his faith, that he doesn't know how to tell them about Jesus and what he did for their life. And that's a challenge for us because we all can understand that sometimes we don't know the best way 
So maybe you're not a Christian if you're in this room or if you're watching online. I'm gonna challenge you to get the book and to read this. And maybe you are a Christian and you're thinking, I don't even really know how to share my faith. Join us. It's gonna be our, our book of the month um, for the month of August. Yeah. We're gonna read it together and come to some things together. But here's what happened. Once Alex understood that it wasn't necessarily about a religion, it was about a relationship with Jesus, about a God who loved him so much that he would send his son to die, that he could be in heaven in eternity the rest of his life. It changed him, Mm -hmm. which brings us to our next point, perspective, because Mm -hmm. his perspective changed. And that's what we have to do. We have to get God's perspective. If we don't have God's perspective and it's just ours, we are not gonna be able to see the great things that God has ahead for us. I think we're all searching for perspective in these Mm -hmm. days as well. And in this last week, I've had conversations of someone who, and was considering suicide from the financial problems and just being beat down by this. Somebody who found out they had cancer, the dreaded diagnosis that we don't want. Somebody who's in an abusive relationship trying to get out and trying to see God taking care of her and all of this. This is heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. This isn't just, hey, I'm gonna pray this prayer and things are good. These are Christian people. And if we don't change our perspective to see it the way that God sees it, we're not going to be able to go where God wants us to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that why so many people have trouble with perspective, seeing it from God's ways, because we don't actually see things as they are. We see things as we are, right? I mean, that's why the people you were talking to were in this place. They saw things as they are. See, when, when everything's going great in our life, I mean, God's great, right? I mean, we're praising God. This is it. I mean, when our life is going the way we want, God's giving us what we want, when we want, and how we want. But the minute all of a sudden it starts going south, all of a sudden we, we, we think that, man, we can't trust God anymore. And maybe, maybe there isn't even a God. Because we get this way. And what happens is you take your focus off of God and you put it on your circumstances. And see, what happens is whatever you're looking at, you magnify. That's what you need to sow. Whatever you're looking at, you magnify. And see, when you magnify your problems, when you magnify your circumstances, they become bigger than God. So now you don't have anywhere to run. That's why you always have to magnify God. You got to make God big. And of course, you're not going to make God bigger. I mean, God is as big as it can be, but you make him bigger to you. That's why Hebrews 12, 2, it says this. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. See, the only way you're going to have the faith to get through everything that you face is to make sure that you're always focused on God. Because if you look at something else, if you take your eyes off that, you're going to think you're done for. One of my favorite stories in in the Old Testament, it's uh, in 2 Kings 6, it's the story of Elisha. And it's all about perspective because Elisha was a, a prophet of God. And he was the one that would, would, God would use to warn the Israelites to be ready for when they were under attack by the enemy. And he always made sure that they were fine. Well, King Aram was, was frustrated not being able to defeat the Israelites. So he found out, I got to get rid of Elisha. So instead of worrying about the Israelites, he comes and he takes his army and he surrounds the town that Elisha lives in. Well, they get up one morning and the servant sees and he thinks we're done for. He thinks it's done for because he sees the whole army around. And Elisha looks at him, he says, hey, it's going to be okay. The one who's for us are greater than the ones who are against us. It was two different perspectives. See, the servant was looking at the enemy. Elisha was looking at God. And so what happens, Elisha says, God, open up his eyes, help him see, 
Help him see. And so he opens up uh, the servant's eyes and what he sees is God's army surrounding the enemy army. It changed his perspective because he was looking up. And see, when you have that proper perspective, it gets you to the third point. You understand God's provision. God will provide a way for you no matter what you're facing. God provided a way for Elisha and his servant to, to not be defeated by the enemy. God provided a way for Lot. He provided a way for Lot's wife. She just didn't take it. And God provides you no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through. First Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And what that says is, Satan knows exactly what to dangle in front of you to get your attention, to get your focus off of God. He knows what to put out there. Not only does he know what to put in front of you, you know what he can put in front of you. He knew what to dangle in front of Lot. This nice grassy area, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna be successful. It was all about his pride. It was all about his success. He didn't worry about the fact that it was next to a place that he didn't have any business being. He thought he'd be okay, but what happens? You get consumed by things and that's what happened. He goes in there and says, but God is faithful. Okay, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That means that God is gonna give you what you need to not fall to that temptation. And he says that God will always provide a way out. See, God always provides. And the best way for me to kind of illustrate what that looks like, um, we just got a, a new puppy. We're now a three-dog household, okay? We have two Goldies, and actually they're the sisters of, of, uh, Chancy. of Chancy, Mary's um, Golden. So we, we have um, children. To, siblings. Siblings, whatever. Dogs. I was doing that. But we got, um, uh, my son RJ wanted a, a German Shepherd, so we now have a German Shepherd puppy. She's about uh, four and a half months old, and she is just as cute as can be. I had a German Shepherd growing up, so I'm, you know, I love this dog. I think it's, it's great, but she's a mess. I mean, this dog has more energy than what you can have, and she gets into everything. So we've got her in classes. We've got her going because we've got to train this dog. But what is so cool about her is the fact that when she's doing something she shouldn't be, she's chewing on something she shouldn't, when you say no, she takes her eyes off of what she's chewing, and she looks at you. See, she takes her eyes off of what she shouldn't be doing, and she looks to her master. And what we do is we take away what she shouldn't be doing and we give her something that it's okay to do. That's what this verse is talking about. That when Satan tries to put something in front of you, you've got the Holy Spirit that says, no. It's your job at that point in time to take your eyes off of whatever's shiny there and get your focus back on your master. Get your focus back on God. And what God will do is he removes that and gives you something better. That's how he provides. I love it. This is what Bill always says. He goes, you know, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you can't be doing what you're not supposed to do. And if you keep your focus on God, you're not gonna get caught up in all the things you shouldn't be doing. That's what Colossians 3, 2 talks about. It says, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the things above and not on this world. That's how you keep it there. You make God your priority. Focus on him because he provides. I think I love that we're talking about provision because if you're like me, sometimes God's provided something, but I don't really want what he's <laughs> provided, right? I kind of think that's the enemy. No, that's not what I asked for. I asked for this, but God in his knowledge knows we need something that we don't think we need and we just need to listen to him. So there's a song by King and Country. They're a Christian 
music. I don't know if you guys have heard it called Burn the Ships. And it reminded me a lot of the story. And the early explorers were going out and they would go to this new land and they would go on the land for a little bit and they, they kept going back to the ship. Y'all, it was stinky. There was diseases. Who knows what all was on that ship? But it was the known. It's what they felt comfortable with. And finally, the captain just comes and says, hey, that's it. We're burning the ships. So that's what they did. They burned the ships so they had to go and explore the new land. They had to look what was provided for them. And that is what Mrs. Lott did not do. She didn't become an explorer to say, hey, God, I see you provided this new thing for me. I'm going to have a great life there, and I'm going to trust that. So she turns into a pillar of salt. I'm really enamored by why a pillar of salt. Nobody knows. I've done all kinds of research. Why salt? Why not stone? Why not an animal? I don't know, but a pillar of salt. So somebody on staff said maybe because she was salty. I don't don't necessarily think so. But I think it's along the line of we're called to be salt and light. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus tells us, you are the salt of the earth. We are supposed to be making a difference with those around us by the way that we live. Not just our words. People should be able to be looking at you and me and say, there's something different about their life. They don't live like all these other people live. They have a, a hope. You know, they live, they live a life that's encouraging. They don't come in and be negative all the time. They're talking about great things. And that's what God's called us to do, to be salt and light in, on this earth. You might be thinking, so I'm kind of wondering what happened to, to Lot and his two girls because they did get away. 50 to 65,000 people died that day all their livestock, all their vegetation. So whatever happened to Lot and his two daughters, well, it's not good. Because what happened is they lived around all that life so long, they were corrupt and moral. Remember, their dad was offering them to these men, so they didn't even really have a high value of themselves. So they contrive a plan to get their dad drunk and become pregnant because Remember, their guys were left behind, and they think we're never going to have any children, and they do, and they both have a son. And one of them, their son became the leader of the Moabites, and the other one, their son became the leader of the Ammonites. Both of these are the hugest people that were against Israel. So here's the legacy that happens. Sometimes we think, I'm just making a decision, my one little decision to take this job, to move my family somewhere, maybe my decision to talk with somebody or sit with somebody I shouldn't. We don't know what legacy this is going to leave behind. But it's interesting because the story didn't end so bad. You know what, Noah? It's a crazy story. You know, actually, when you were just talking about there, it kind of hit me with the salt, that we're the salt of the earth. And then what happens is that being salt means that we're supposed to make a difference in somebody's life. And what we see is Lot really didn't make a difference in his wife's life. And so she turns into salt. And salt is used, one, in, in sacrifice. That was to keep everything, that they would put it on the meat for the sacrifice. It was a preservative. But then it was also something that if it wasn't taken care of, it was something that basically brought things to an end. And that's why we have the Dead Sea that nothing can live. And I think it's that example for us that we need to make a difference. But God makes a difference out of it. Because like you said, it was, it was a tragic story that, that, that all of a sudden they now Israel has enemies. But remember, one of those enemies, Moabite. Well, guess what? Ruth comes out of it. She was a Moabite. And she comes in and she's in the line of Jesus. 
So it's kind of the idea that it's Romans 8, 28, God will bring good if you just trust him through that. So I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're watching. I don't know the decisions you've made. I don't know the lifestyle that you've gotten into, but guess what? God can bring good from it when you start making him a priority right now. Make God first in your life right now. Seek him first in all areas of your life. Let go of it all and watch God do something great with your life. That's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that God can take you from yuck and he can make it a blessing and let him do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the fact that you never gave up on us, that you provided your son to be the savior of the world, to die on the cross for our sins, for all of our mistakes, for all of our missteps. And through his death, his burial and his resurrection, we can have life in him. And, and God, we just pray that you help us walk in those ways. That there might be somebody that, that has given their life to you, but has gone kind of in the wrong direction. They've kind of started steering towards Lot. It's been more about their career and about their position. And it's not been about making you a priority. Give them the strength to stand firm and come back and to start putting you first, putting you first in every area because we will reap what we sow. And God, we wanna sow your blessings. We wanna sow your blessings in our life. So help us to put you first in all ways. And if there's anybody here who's never made that first step, never made that, that, that step of faith and, and, and put your trust in Jesus Christ, just where you are right now, open up your heart that when you believe that he is the one who died on the cross and when you confess that with your mouth, that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and on the third day he rose again. When you put your faith in that, your life has changed. Make God your priority because when you make that decision, just like Alec did, it changes your perspective. You realize you have somebody who wants to be there for you, for you to be successful and he provides for you in every way. Help us to understand that, God. Help us to be a light. We are salt, and we want to make sure that we share that with everyone. We love you and praise you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.